This is MSF Torah. It's not just a podcast. It's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Torah. Presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast. Visit our website at msoftorah.com and join Patreon for exclusive content. Why does Hashem change the picture about morality? We ended up last time with asking this question that just because there's a God commanding me to do something, what makes it the right thing? Is it because He's more powerful than us? Because He created us? What would what makes Hashem the arbiter, the one to decide, the authority of morality? That was a question we ended off with last time. There are really two parts to this discussion. Again, we had the two questions of what makes God the authority or what makes a good action good. And there are really two parts to answering these two questions. And I think at the end, we're not even going to come back to the question because I think it'll be so clear at the end why these questions don't even begin at all. So there are really going to be two parts to discussion, but both of these parts will be will come together. So even if I don't clearly delineate which part is which, we'll see that it's all really one thing. The first part is really defining what we mean. And we really should have done this last time, but I left it to this to this time for a reason. We're going to define what does it mean when I say good and bad, or the right thing, the wrong thing? What do all these things mean? Moral? What are all the? What do we mean by all these things? And if we can't get a clear definition, let's just talk about the ideas, the ideas behind them, and we can label them whatever words you want to label. So, and to the to, start, to begin this discussion, let's ask this following question, which the Rambam and his Morna Vuchim asked, and some of this will be based on the on the Rambam there. What is the difference between good and bad versus true and false? The Rambam describes how the world before Adam Rishon, the actions were either true and false, emes or sheker. Now, post-Adam Rishon, the, the actions people do are good or bad, toiv vera. So he's describing over there about what happened to Adam Rishon and why Adam Rishon, after eating the, from the eight sadas, after he did the chet, he actually became a lesser version of himself. And because before it was true and false, he perceived the world as true versus false, emes versus sheker, and afterwards it was good versus bad. That's what basically what the Rambam says. Now, what does this mean? What is the difference between good and true or bad and false, right, wrong? What are all these things? So good can have really three definitions. We mentioned this previously. It could have the definition of desirable or beneficial or the right thing. We're going to leave what the right thing means for later. But for now, we'll discuss desirable or beneficial. Are those things what we mean when we say something is moral, something is good? I'm assuming that morality is not synonymous with desirable because that would be a little bit um, evil in a certain sense, that it's good for me to kill this person. It's a good thing. It just means, simply means it's desirable for me to kill this person. That doesn't, certainly doesn't make it the right thing. And beneficial also can't really mean that it's the right thing because there are things that are beneficial for me but are probably wrong to do. It might be beneficial for me to kill this person, but it means the right thing. So certainly when we say good, in terms of morality, we can't mean desirable or beneficial. I, I just sort of as an aside, it's sort of as an aside, but when someone says this is the good thing, this is the right, the good thing to do, it's a good thing to do, the good thing to do, you should always press on that definition. What, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's, it's desirable for me. It's beneficial for me. What makes it the good thing? 
So we're going to leave aside these definitions for now. Those are the definitions of good. And I don't think that beneficial or desirable has any impact on the discussion of moral because those are just simply what I want or what actually is, be- is objectively beneficial for me, whoever decides what's beneficial. But those, I don't think anybody really, when pressed on it, would say that defines morality. So really, we get, get to the right thing. So what does it mean, the right thing? We're going to have to come back to that. We're going to have a d- little discussion now without the terms Without any terminology for a moment, let's leave aside terminology, good, bad, right, wrong, true, false, whatever it is, for just a moment, and have a discussion, we're going to label things afterwards. So let's try and look at this whole idea from a different perspective. See, to me, the perspective is not good, bad, right, wrong, because these things are very hard to define. I mean, there is a definition, but people won't have the definition very, very clear, and then the discussion becomes a hard discussion to have. So let's leave aside the terms. And the perspective for me is as follows. Leaving aside good, bad, right, wrong, leaving all that aside, ask yourself a very simple question, which is what actions are meaningful, what actions are not meaningful? And that is based on the third line of attack that we raised to the other forms of morality. Without Hashem, just simply ask yourself this question, what makes something meaningful? Let's take a step back for a moment and try to understand this. Hashem, we've established already, is the only true existence because everything is relative to him. Now, a lot of things that we're going to say right now, we have to really know all the details about Hashem being the first cause, Hashem being the only MS truth in the world. We're not going to go back over that whole discussion, but we're going to just take pieces from there. Hopefully it'll be enough to understand on its own, but really, if you want to get the whole picture, you have to listen to those 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 discussions as well. But Hashem right now, we understand Hashem is the only true existence because like I said, everything else is relative to Him. Hashem exists in a way that nothing else exists. As we said, He is our first cause. So He's not dependent on anything else. He needs nothing else. And therefore that makes Him, according to the Rambam, makes Him the truest existence. This again, this the idea of the first cause and that the results because Hashem is the first cause Therefore, also, he is the truest existence, because true in this context, what we mean when we describe what MS means, MS means real, something that really, truly exists and with permanence. So the most real, pristine existence there is, is that of Hashem, because he exists on his own terms, with no strings attached, nothing dependent, nothing affects his existence. So he's completely 100% real, as opposed to everything else, is like us, our existence is relative to him, in the sense that we need other things. Our our existence is dependence. Efshar Hametzius, we would call it. Our existence is a possible existence, which means it was either possible or it's possible to happen or not possible. I mean, it could have happened or it could have not happened. So we all have Efshar Hametzius, and the Kodesh Baruch Hu is the Mukhra Hametzius. That means, says the Rambam, that he is the MS. And Ein MS Ka'amito, says the Rambam. There's no truth like his truth. It means there is no other permanent reality other than Hashem himself. Now the Gemara says, as we discussed, that truth will stand and falsehood will fall. Truth is MS, has letters Aleph, Mem, Tuf. All those letters have two, two parts of the letter holding it on the bottom. Aleph has the two pieces there. MS, Mem has the line and something else. And the Tuf has the two pieces. And that's why they will be able to stand and Sheker. The bottoms of those letters is only on one thing. So the Shin has the small, the piece over there. And the Kuf has the elongated piece that's, it's very unstable. And the ratio same thing. So MS will stand, Sheker will fall. And I believe that their Chazal are saying something into the essence of what truth is and what falsehood is. That means, tr- and they're trying to say, I believe that truth is reality, the ultimate truth. Truth means something that's real, something that's permanent. If something is not permanent, it means it will ultimately fall. Very simple math. If something doesn't last forever, that means it doesn't last. That's the point. Something that is true, real, will last forever. So MS is something that's true. 
It's real. It stands. That's it's that's kayam. It will exist forever. That's emes. And sheker will not exist forever. Falsehood is anything that goes against reality, anything that's not really real. So things that stand are emes. Things that don't stand are false. And in that context, we understand why Hashem is the only emes. Hashem is the only thing that is really real because only Hashem will be able to stand under all circumstances. For everything else, there are some circumstances, at least one, that will challenge the existence of that thing. Certainly, if I take away the cause of that thing, then the thing, the effect, is doesn't exist anymore. So everything else has some relative existence and some circumstance where it won't exist anymore, and therefore subject to being sheker. Because if you remove the cause, for whatever reason, it's gone. Ultimately, it's down to Hashem's decision. If He removes your cause, then you're out, then you're gone, and everything the same thing. Hashem is not like that. Hashem is nothing that you can remove that He'd be any different, and therefore He's simply true. So true are, true is real, permanent, and false is the opposite. And only Hashem has that. And that's very important for our discussion right now, that only HaKadosh Baruch Hu is emes, is forever, is real, is a real existence, not like anything else. Now, in that context, let's discuss what true and false means relative to actions. The Rambam says that things that we used to do, Adam Rishon used to perceive them as either real or fake, true or false, emes or sheker, he says, as opposed to now it's toy vera. So what does that mean exactly? When I say an action is emes or sheker, what would that mean? So to me, it's very simple, that there really are only real actions or fake actions. If you want to make it as simple as possible, there are meaningful actions or meaningless actions. There are actions that will last forever, permanent, they're real, or there are actions will, that will die out very so- soon, whatever, but they will die out. Impactful, actions that are impactful, meaningful, or meaningless. The perspective to look at certain actions that we do is, to me, under these, with these glasses, whether these actions are meaningful or meaningless. Every action that you do has some sort of result. Healthy actions, meaning eating healthily or working out, those healthy actions make one healthy. And if you do the opposite, you'll be unhealthy, you'll be not healthy. So if you eat bad foods, if you don't work out, you'll not, you'll be healthy. So actions have results. Some of them are more impactful than others. Some of the actions that you eat, if you eat bad food, it impacts you for a longer time than let's say if you were to work out or certainly it's what's, what's perceivable. So some actions are just more impactful than others, but all actions have somewhat of an impact. But at the end of the day, the question you have to ask yourself is, are these actions that we do meaningful or not meaningful? And how meaningful are they? How long are they going to last? Now, doing mitzvahs in a very simple way also have a result. The result is that you're more similar to Hashem, meaning Hashem allows you, gives you these actions, gives us this roadmap, this pathway of becoming more as, as much as like Him as possible, sh- sharing this perfection of Him. So these Mitzvahs allow you to mimic, mimic as much as possible Hashem, and that means His existence. So by mitzvahs, it's a very, very simple thing. If you do them, you become more real. And if you don't do them, you're not as real. This is very, very different than any other way of life, any other moral code out there. Here it's a very simple thing. The more you are like Hashem, the more you are reaching his, quote-unquote, his level, we'll call it, of existence, the more similar you are to his existence. Now, you never get exactly like Hashem. Nobody can ever do that. But you're going to get more like that. So the more that you do mitzvahs, the more you simply are, exist. The more you are, the more you are real, the more you are permanent, the more you are alive. And if you don't keep mitzvahs, then you don't have that advantage. Hashem gives us an opportunity to truly exist like Him. Not exactly like Him, but someone like Him. He's giving us an opportunity to truly exist and to live. It's a choice that we have. If we don't do it, then we're simply choosing death. 
See, the mitzvahs, we tend to look at them as, as obligations. You have to do something. But you know what? Let's not look at them that way. Forget about obligations, chiyuv, tour, whatever that. I think that's all peripheral to the idea. The idea of mitzvahs is very, very simple. If you have a person, if I tell you, a dentist tells you, let's say, that you have to brush your teeth. So nobody claims, nobody, nobody with a ra- rational mind is going to say, well, it's so difficult, all these obligations. He tells me to brush this way and brush that way and use Listerine and use this. So many obligations, so many rules. I mean, it's silly. The rules are because of a certain reality. The reality is if you take care of your teeth, you will have teeth. So the dentist wants you to have teeth. That's his job, we'll say. He wants you to have teeth, that your teeth should exist. So then he's giving you instructions and these rules in order to allow your teeth to exist. If you want to follow the rules, it's your, it's fine. It's your prerogative. Follow them, follow, don't follow them. If you follow them, you'll have teeth. If you don't follow them, you don't have teeth. There is an element of the fact that you're not listening to the dentist, but certainly in this analogy, it's not important. And there is an importance to that by listening to Hashem, but leaving that point out, it's a very, very simple equation. If you follow the dentist's instructions, then you'll have teeth for a long time. If you don't, your teeth will rot. They'll be gone. If you don't brush your teeth, they'll be gone. It's a simple cause and effect. And it's a very similar thing to mitzvahs. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, if you keep my mitzvahs, you'll live. And if not, you'll die. Not physically die, Physical death is not necessarily dependent on mitzvahs, not fully dependent, we'll say, on mitzvahs because everybody dies. But that's not what we're talking. We're talking about your soul, your neshama, you, the real you. If you want to exist, keep my mitzvahs, brush your teeth. If not, not. The choice is really yours. See, any actions outside of mitzvahs are ultimately meaningless. If we we remove mitzvahs from this discussion, then take any action in the world that you can do, and we could show you very simply how ultimately they're, they're meaningless. Their impact will will wither and die away, and they'll die out. If not in two minutes, then in an hour. Let's say you have a piece of cake that you enjoy. So the pleasure lasts for about five seconds, and then it's gone. Pleasure is absolutely gone. Physical pleasures are very, very quick. They last one moment, very, very momentary. One moment and they're gone. The next moment, they're completely almost as if they didn't happen. And even if you are happy because of that, that happiness also doesn't last. How long does it last? An hour? Two hours? Even we'll call it happy. You have a yeshuvadas, at least, let's say. That also doesn't last so long. A week? Does it last a year? All the actions that we do, just put a timeline on them. Where does the impact of them run out? And you'll see that any action you do in the physical world has, it's like an hourglass. At some point, its impact, its meaning will end. You brush your teeth, fine, your teeth will be good. Ultimately, maybe, some people, anyways, end up losing their teeth. And if if something in the physical world doesn't have a timeline, if you're going to say, well, I'll do these actions every day and I'll be healthy and I'll be happy my whole life, well, even that has a timeline. It's called the end of your life. And then if at the end of, once that happens at the end of your life, what did it matter that you were healthy during your lifetime? So good. So you lived, you lived an extra five years. You were 80 until you were 75, but so what? Where does it end up in the end of the day? See, physical actions are physical by nature and they impact physicality. And by that definite, by, for that reason, they, they end just like physicality ends. At some point, so to all the impact of your actions, your physical actions will also end and everything will end up basically nowhere. The moment that you die, then it's gone. And one could always ask, well, what did I accomplish with what I did? And the answer will be ultimately nothing. Again, outside of mitzvahs we're talking about. Even philosophies that people have. Let's take any philosophy that a person has. Feminism. Let's just use that exa- for example for a moment. So let's even assume that's a great thing. Okay, feminism. Women should be the same as men. Fine whatever exactly philosophy is. But so you live in a society, you want your goal, your vision for the world is to live in a society where women are treated equal to men, or they're the same roles, whatever exactly the details are. And then what? 
So you lived in that society, and then what? And then you died. And then ultimately, everybody who lived in the society also died. So what meaning, impact did your philosophy have? So yes, while people were alive, they maybe, according to you, they were happier. The women were happier anyways, according to you. Well, then what? So what's the difference? In the end of the day, it's ultimately meaningless, not impactful at all. Like we said about world peace, you want to get to world peace. It's very nice, very nice goal, but then what? So you want everybody to live peacefully so that they could just live peacefully and then eventually die. And then what happens? They just don't want to do, have any fighting going on. But what's the goal? What's the end point? Is simply peace the end point for everything? And then you die. And then what happens? And when the world is die, the whole world who lived under that <coughs> philosophy is gone. And then what? You could always ask, what was the purpose of what we did? What, what did we accomplish? When you look back after a person's dead and says, and he says to his life, well, what did we simply accomplish? Yes, we had world peace. Yes, we had equality with men and women. Great. Yes, we saved the environment. But so what? Now we're dead. Or maybe the, and all those animals that we tried to save are also dead. Or all these people that we tried to make happy are also dead. So then what? What did we accomplish in the end of the day? So the truth is, in the end of the day, nothing. And that's really the third line of attack that we had on morality is what, you, what is, what is meaningful about morality? But this is true about any action outside of mitzvahs. Now, mitzvahs are meaningful because they last forever. They are the only really true actions that you do in the world. That's really the difference between MS and Sheker actions. You have MS actions that are impactful, meaningful, that are real, and you have Sheker actions that are false, that ultimately there's a timeline for them. There's an hourglass, and at some point the hourglass will, will be empty. And the timeline of that action, the impact of the action will finish. Any physical actions, any actions that are non-mitzvahs, any actions that are not, the source is not the ultimate reality will ultimately be Sheker, will ultimately fall away, and there's no permanence to them, and they'll be meaningless. It's only HaKadosh Baruch Hu who gives, who is the true reality, and we are, he's giving these actions for us to mimic him and become like that. Those actions actually are impactful. The mitzvahs are impactful. The mitzvahs give us life. And that's why the Torah says, Ubacharta b'chaim, we're giving you, I'm giving you chaim and mavis. It's very, very simple. Again, the idea of mitzvahs is a very simple idea. If you want life, you do them. If you want death, take them. I'm not talking about death in this world. Death comes to everybody in this world. If you want actual, real death, where your neshama is completely cut off from the source of life, then don't do mitzvahs. Your choice. Rebbe Shem is not telling you you have to do anything. A little bit of a misconception. Shem doesn't say, in theory, you don't have to do anything. The chiyuvim come, the, the reason why I say someone's chayv in mitzvahs is after he's accepted already this system. Akash Baruch Hu allows us to, he certainly gave it to Klal Yisrael, says you accept it, so we accepted it, so now we become Chayv in the mitzvahs. But that's not the way to look at things as a mitzvah. It's a very simple way to look at it. It's simply cause and effect. If you do this, you live in this world, in the next world, forever with a real existence, with perfection, as much as you possibly did, as much as you possibly can, and as much as you actually did. If you don't, you're choosing death. So you don't see the death right now, you don't perceive it because we're in a physical body, fine. But you should know that you're choosing death. By not keeping mitzvahs, you're simply choosing not to exist. And it's a very, very simple equation. So in the end of the day, the mitzvahs are meaningful, impactful, and anything other than mitzvahs are sheker. It's not meaningful. And there's a, there's differences between averas and non-averas, but even without those leaving aside that, that point, if you don't do mitzvahs, don't keep limo da Torah, kima mitzvahs, without that, it just simply, you're going nowhere. The problem is after the Eitz we started looking at things as good and bad, i.e. desirable or not. As we said, good means desirable, not necessarily beneficial. MS would be beneficial for us. We don't look at things as beneficial. We look at desirable. When a person says something is good, <clears throat> he means that's desirable. If I say to you, one person says ice cream is good and the other person says ice cream is bad, 
what are they saying? Well, the one who says ice cream is good means taste-wise it's good. And the one who says ice cream is bad, he means health-wise. So what does good mean and what does bad mean? One case, good means tasty. And one mean one scenario, good or bad over there means unhealthy. And in theory, good would have meant healthy and bad would have been not tasty. What does good mean? What does bad mean? Very simple. We use good as desirable. If I'm desiring taste, then I'll say ice cream is good because it fits into that category of what I want. And if I desire health, then ice cream is bad. So we start looking at things as good and bad in the sense of what I want and not, as opposed to simply objective actions that are true or false, i.e. actions that make you real, impactful, or they're not real, that they, they're they a sheker, they have no permanence. Now, we our perspective is actions become relative. That's post eight tadas, but it has a lot of impact in the world. Now, they, the actions have a commentary on them. Our commentary is our opinion. And we discussed one time the difference between fact and opinion. That a mitzvah is simply a fact. It is a fact that a mitzvah gives you reality, allows you to exist. My opinion on a mitzvah might be that I don't want to do it. It's bad, let's say. I don't want to do it. Fine. But that's all an opinion. And that's not reality. That's really, that's not objective reality. That's relativity, subjective relativity. So, and based on these things, we start pursuing these actions based on whether I hold that it's good, whether I think that it's bad. And because of that, we lose focus on the real actions and we spend our time pursuing relative good actions or a good philosophy or a bad philosophy. And this is how we get confused and come up with moral systems of our own. This philosophy is good. What do you mean that it's good? It means it's desirable. Okay, so you're pursuing a course of action that is desirable. Is that is that meaningful? Maybe not, but it's desirable. So that's what human beings have become, and that's what we spend our time on. That's post Eitzadas. And that's what the Rama means between good actions and bad actions versus true and false. Good is relatively good, desirable. Bad is not undesirable. And that's our perception of things. And that's how we get lost in this world because we don't pursue real actions versus fake actions. We pursue desirable actions versus non-desirable actions. But in the end of the day, Coming back to our main point is that there are there's still, no matter what our perception is, there are facts. And the facts are that there are certain, only very certain amount of objective actions that actually have meaning and are actually impactful and actually give you existence. And that those things are the, called the mitzvahs. That's what we call mitzvahs. The things that connect us to Hashem. Because Hashem is the ultimate truth, so He and only He in that specific capacity can give meaning to the world. It's not because He's a creator. It's because he is the only truth to the world. Everything else is dependent on something else, and its existence is dependent on outside factors. We explain that when that factor goes, so does it. And therefore, that thing cannot offer full existence. It doesn't have it. And it's also, it's, since existence is relative to something else, it doesn't necessarily have full permanence. So obviously, it can't offer full permanence to something else. Only Hashem, as is, in his capacity of the, the only MS, can do that. And that is the first point, really. The first point is that mitzvahs, attach us to Hashem, they are meaningful. Hashem is offering us a chance to have, to do meaningful actions, have a meaningful life, something that will last and last forever. And we could truly, truly exist in the real sense, like he exists. And that's a very, very simple idea. And then again, like we said, that is not anything that any moral code can even come close to replicating. All the other moral codes at best will make you, make something practical, make you feel good at least for a little bit. Nothing more than that. And ultimately, that means any other moral code is code is simply meaningless, as opposed to the Torah, 100% meaningful. It's real. And every other moral system will be sheker under those terms. The other part of the discussion is we have to get back to what is considered the right thing. What does it mean that it's the right thing for an individual or this course of action is the right course of action that you should take? 
So let's just, what do we mean in general when we say something is the right thing to do? Someone says, this is the right thing for me. What is, what does that mean exactly? So normally the meaning is that it is right for a specific purpose. Now I'm not defining because you can't use the word in definition, but if I say something is the right thing for me, it means that this thing will help me further along the goal. Meaning if there's a certain purpose or specific goal end point that I want to get to, that I need to get to, want to get to, whatever it is, this thing will be, will further me along my pathway to get me to that goal. Therefore it's called the right thing. So in context, normally we say something is the right when there's a specific purpose or a goal, an endpoint. He's the right person for the job. Means I have a job, I have an idea of where this company should go. And in order to get to that point, I will hire this person. He is right for that. He's the right player for this team. I mean, I want the team to win and he's going to help me get along to that goal. So right will always be a right for something else. This is the right thing for something. You always have to define when you say this is the right thing for this. means for what? So what does it mean when we say it's the right thing in terms of morality? This is the right thing for it. So I can't speak for others who say what the right thing is, but let's talk in terms of what we would mean in terms of if I tell you, is this the right thing for you or the right thing for the world? Well, if you want to define that, you have to talk about purpose, end goal, an end point. And what would purpose be in this context? Well, it would have to be what is the purpose of the world or what is your purpose? Why were you created? What is the purpose of the existence of the world? And what is the purpose? Why were you created? Because it all depends on endpoints. Like, like we said, this is where everything is leading to. So like we said, if you want to become a better basketball player, then working out is the right course of action and eating donuts is not the right course of action. So when we're talking about you as a, a person who's alive, it all will depend on what the purpose is. If your purpose of life is becoming a better basketball player, then there's certain rules for what the right course of action, what's right for you, what the right course of action will be. But if that's not the purpose, then you have to, if something else is a purpose, then, you do, then you'll have new set of right things. So what is the purpose? Now, since we already described how Hashem created the world and every individual in it for one purpose, which was really to give meaning to that person, meaning, as we said, we discussed already what it means, that he is creating the world for giving us pleasure, giving us true, true existence. And in that sense, he decides, as it were, what the end point or the goal is of the world. He has a vision, as it were, quote-unquote, a vision for the world. He created it in order to give as much pleasure, as we said, to mankind as possible. That's the end point, to be connected with him and exist. So he creates the world for an end point that the world could be full of him. And he could give up as much as himself in the world to people, individuals, and to the world as possible. Hashem's plan <coughs> is Hashem's plan that he gives is designed to get to that point. The Torah, which is his plan, is designed for all of us and the world together to get to that end point. And that is going to be what we'll call the perfection of the world <coughs> and of individuals. And certainly, so we'll just take a step back. It means to say that the purpose and the end point of the world is exactly what Hashem designed for it, which is perfection. We'll call it perfection. Closest to Hashem, ultimate benefit, ultimate pleasure, however you want to say, I'll just label it for now as perfection. And that's based on Hashem's plan. And only HaKadosh Baruch Hu can give us the plan and the tools, the pathway, in order for us to get from point A to point B. Point B, point A being where we are right now, point B being perfection. And and He does do that by giving us the Torah. So it's only following the Torah we could get there. Nothing else other than the Torah could get us there. The, the, see, to just understand this point a little better, the perfection of any utensil is realized and expressed when they reach their purpose. The point of a cup is to use it to drink. So when that happens, it's realized its purpose. That's the purpose of the cup. And as cup has used, has got to its perfection by being used, i.e., because that was what, what it was designed for. 
So that's the same thing as any utensil, anything that was created, it can be, it will realize its perfection when it actually does what its purpose was. So like we said about human beings, what were they created for? Like we explained, the, the, it was created for perfection. So the purpose of the world would be, a, and the purpose of the world and for human beings, but let's say the world for now, would be realized when the world is in a state where Hashem can give of Himself the most intense possible. When Hashem, when we've realized the perfection of that state, when Hashem as the world can use the cup, if the world is like the cup, and the world is now usable, i.e. that Hashem could give of, of himself, as it were, the most intensely to mankind, that's the place, that's the time when the world has reached a stage, uh, stage and state really of perfection. Of course, this only happens through the Torah. Only through the Torah can you reach this per- perfection, because that's exactly why Hashem gave us Torah, for us and the world to reach its perfection. The only way we could be as much like Hashem as possible and create a world where Hashem is giving himself as much as possible is by following the Torah. And like I said many times, no other system of morality will offer anything like that. In fact, they could offer offer, not, offer absolutely nothing. So if that's the case, when we say what's the right thing, well, what's the goal? Well, the end point of Hashem's world is that we reach it to a stage of, we get to a stage of perfection. And therefore, the only way we could say something is the right thing if we have defined the goal. And if that goal is perfection, i.e., Hashem's giving of himself. So then by definition, the only thing that could be the right thing is by following the Torah. The wrong thing will be by not following the Torah. It's right in the sense that this is the right way I have a goal, or Hashem has a goal, and I want to follow Hashem's goal, let's say, for the world. And this is the a thing that will get will move along, move us to the process, move us along towards that goal. It's like having a company that we want to succeed. The end goal is the company makes a lot of money. So this is the right thing for that. This thing, this hire, or this particular course of action will lead to that goal and therefore is the right thing. Same thing over here. Hashem has the world where he wants to get it to. Therefore, this is the right thing. What is the right thing? Means the Torah. Whatever the Torah says in that context, this or that, whatever context it is, becomes, is the right thing simply because it is the way to reach the end point, which is the goal, which is the purpose of the world, which is Hashem giving himself, i.e., for perfection. So when we say that something is the right thing to do, something is, and if you want to label that moral, label it moral. I have no problem with that. Something is the right thing to do, by definition happens, has to be something that will lead us along the path to get to the state of perfection, to get to a place where Hashem wants it to go. And that will define what the right thing is, and that will define what the wrong thing is. It's all because Hashem is the ultimate existence and the ultimate truth. Is That's why He can define what the right thing is, what the goal is. The goal is meaningfulness. He can't give us meaning without what we already established, that he is the only true existence. But once we've established that he is the only true existence, so he can give meaning to the world, and therefore that meaning is also perfection. Therefore, whatever he decides is by definition the right thing. And that is exactly how Hashem can help us with our moral conundrum. And we see that has nothing to do with who's the authority, has nothing to do with the Euthyphro issue, has mamish nothing to do with those issues. It's a very simple thing. What actions are meaningful? And what is the goal of the world that actually has meaning? And therefore, what are the right things that get us to that goal? And that is exactly how Shem can help us with the moral problem. Now, we should just realize at this point, as somewhat of an aside, this is a very important point, but it's a little bit of an aside from this conversation, but I want to insert it here, is we should realize how the Torah is not at all a guidebook for a moral society. Well, it depends what you mean by moral society, but the, normally the way people use it, I will say, it's not anything like that. It's not a way to run a fair and free society. It's not a law system that helps people live fairly, freely, whatever you want to say. All this stuff is simple nonsense to minimize the Torah to a moral guidebook for mankind. Again, in the moral of that context of what moral normally means, like a good thing or the right, or quote unquote the right thing, but without 
the part which we were discussing. To simply say that it's a moral society and that it's it's just a different set of morals from anything else is complete nonsense, and it could even border on border on apikorsis, if not mamish apikorsis. The Torah is not; a, it's not a quantitative difference. That the Torah is just a standard of morality that's just better than other things. That it's it's we could trust that the Torah's a sense of morality more than mankind's morality, and therefore it makes sense and it's beneficial society for our society to keep Torah. That's absolute nonsense. Nothing to do with what Torah is. Torah is qualitatively different than anything else. In its most simplest terms, it is a way to perfection through real and permanent existence, as opposed to nothingness and lacking. Perfection, fullness, as opposed to nothingness and lacking. If you want to be perfect, if you want to live, if you want to exist, you keep Torah. And you do, you're keeping Torah, you're doing the right thing. The right thing means the way to get mankind as a whole to that perfection. If you're not keeping Torah, then you won't get that perfection and you won't lead mankind to that perfection. Hashem is offering everything we could possibly want the ultimate desirable thing, ultimate perfection, ultimate existence. And he says, if you keep these instructions, you'll be perfect, you'll be real, you'll be happy, you'll have all the benefits, you'll have anything you possibly want, the most you could possibly want, which is a connection with me, but there's nothing else better in the entire world. And if not, not. If you don't brush your teeth, your teeth will rot. It's a very simple point. And that is the significance of the morality of the Torah as opposed to anything else. Anything else is like child's play, according to the Torah. Again, it's like people in the dark who are blind. They don't know what they're looking for. They don't know why they're looking for things. It's just, they're just talking. They're just having nice intellectual conversations, but no purpose, no meaning, no reality to any of it. Akash Baruch is offering us the best that we could possibly have, full existence, full perfection. And he says to us, if you want to keep it, here you go, you have it. He, he implores us, he wants from us to choose life. That's just simply what it is, simply choosing life or choosing death. And really the choice is all of ours. Exclusive content on Patreon. You can submit your question and get them answered only for members on Patreon. Don't forget to check out our own website, msofterra.com. And remember, we are wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to know when the next episode is being released. The podcast is produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.